0: Let's open in prayer before we start. Heavenly Father, um, we're thankful this morning to uh, be able to come here and to study Your Word. And Father, to do that in in peace without being uh, harassed uh, like they are in other countries, Father. And so we we just thank You, Lord, and praise You that we have that opportunity this morning. We pray, Father, that uh, You would uh, help me, Lord, Uh, to be clear and concise. And uh, Father, I just thank you and praise you that uh, you don't leave me alone, that you uh, are the one that uh, gives us help, Lord, when you give us a job to do. And so, uh, Lord, we're thankful that we have you to rely on uh, for those things. And uh, I just pray, Father, that uh, you would help each one of us, Lord, uh, to not be forgetful hearers, but to be doers, Lord, of your word. And I just thank you and praise you, Lord, that your word uh, will accomplish uh, that thing that you wanted to accomplish, Lord, for your purpose. And I I just praise you and thank you for that. And it's in your son Jesus' name that I pray, Lord, amen. So, again, uh we may end a little early today, too, so not, not by much, though, probably. Um, godliness through discipline. So the text for uh, this Sunday school lesson is found in Paul's first letter to Timothy, where Paul declared that his reason for writing to Timothy was that he would know and recognize how those who are the called out ones, the children of God, the church at Ephesus would behave themselves in the household and family of God. Paul's concern for Timothy's recognition of true believers within the household of God, that is the church, especially those who were probably within a ministry at Ephesus, is found where generally most writers place things Of great concern to them. That's at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of the document. Paul's great concern was born from false teachers and false doctrines in the church at Ephesus. And at the beginning, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 through 7, Paul says to Timothy, As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. I believe these men uh, were not teaching the gospel, but instead something foreign to the Word of God. They were teaching strange doctrines. That's what Paul called them. Paul continues and he says, "...nor to pay attention," in verse 4, "...to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith." Paul warned Timothy not to pay attention to those things that these men taught. Or in other words, not to succumb to their false teaching which did nothing to promote true religion or salvation, which is by faith in Christ and Christ alone. He continues in verse 5 and says, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a, and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Christian instruction springs from God's love for us, our love for God, Our love for His Word, our love for His will, from a heart God has purified and a conscience He has cleared of guilt by the effect of sound faith in Christ, which He also has supplied. These false teachers were lacking the supply only Christ can give. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Paul, in another book, encouraging Titus, A young pastor also dealing with false teachers said this in Titus chapter 1, verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good work. These men were lacking what they needed. And verse 6 tells us why. Paul says, For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions. These false teachers at Ephesus, rejecting truthful instruction, missed the mark, never believing godly instruction, and veered away from it to that which is fruitless. Paul continues uh, in verse 7 and says, wanting to be teachers of the law. Now there's the problem. They wanted to be somebody. They wanted to make a name for themselves probably. No doubt, they wanted to be credited for being well-versed in the law of Moses and receive the honor, reputation, and perks that went along with that distinction. And this they wanted to do, void of the knowledge only God can provide through prayerful study of His Word and reliance upon Him. Paul finishes verse 7 by saying, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions, without Christ, without love for God, Without love for His Word, without love for His will, and obviously, without the benefit of God's Holy Spirit, these men try to teach what they know nothing about. Godliness cannot be procured apart from Christ, nor with fleshly effort and desire. Only ungodliness comes from such effort. Two of these false teachers Paul already dealt with by excluding them from church fellowship. As he continues to instruct Timothy, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 18 through 20, This command I entrust to you, Timothy my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Humanaos and Alexandros. By the way, we were talking this morning at this table, and we were talking about having strongs. I got strongs too. And that's how I know how to pronounce these names. That's in the Greek, but uh, I have talking strongs. That's a good thing to have sometimes. So, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Paul disciplined these two men from the church. And then at the very end of Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, Paul closes the letter to Timothy by saying, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. And he closes with, Grace be with you. So we can get a feel for Paul's concern for Timothy, his son in Christ, as he asked him to stay on at Ephesus and help straighten things out, which brings us to the purpose of our study this morning. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says this to Timothy, he says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That phrase in there, fit only for old woman, if you take exception to that, you're going to have to speak to Paul when you see him. Um, I'll let him explain that. <laughs> right. right. Let's look at the word discipline. Discipline, in the Greek, is the word gymnazo. It's it's pronounced in Greek, gumnadzu. And it is where our word, gymnastics, and gymnasium have been derived. It means to practice, to exercise, or to train. In contrast to all the things of the world that promote ungodliness, false teachers, strange doctrines, the great world religions, the great world philosophies, the great world social clubs and the world's entertainment with its music and media, including TV, which of course they didn't have in, Paul's, in Timothy and Paul's day. But Timothy, Ken, Ambassador Baptist Church, discipline, practice, exercise, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Paul makes it clear that he's not talking about a fleshly effort, as in bodily exercise. He says in verse 8, For bodily exercise is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness cannot be procured... By us, apart from Christ, with fleshly effort and desire, only ungodliness comes from such effort. Exercising our bodies might help us to be healthier and might even help us to become great athletes in our present life. But it does not yield godliness. Without Christ, all efforts will fail to produce godliness Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. There you have it. It's human will enabled by God's Holy Spirit for God's will and for God's purpose. Our obedience to God from a heart God has purified and a conscience he has cleared from guilt by the effect of sound faith in Christ, which is then enabled by God's Holy Spirit for God's will and for God's purpose. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. We don't have to work alone. We have help. Our responsibility is to be obedient. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It might look like our work. It might feel like our work. We might think it's our work. But as Christians, surrender to God. He is at work and the work He gives us to do. Let's take a little turn here and we're going to talk about George Foreman. George Everyone know who George Foreman is. Everybody probably knows about George Foreman grills. But George Foreman knows a little bit about discipline. I chose George Foreman because after being defeated by Jimmy Young, who is another heavyweight fighter, George Foreman retired for the first time from 20 years as a boxer and began became, I'm sorry, a born-again Christian. It's not his Christianity that I wish to talk about, though, this morning. Instead, it is his boxing career, career that he had. He had 26 total fights as an amateur boxer. In those fights, he had 22 wins and four losses. He won a gold medal in the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City. He had 81 total fights as a professional boxer. 76 of those fights he won. 68 of those fights he won by knockout. Eight fights he won by decision. And five fights he lost. He actually retired from boxing three times in his career and made two comebacks. He won the World Heavyweight Boxing title twice. He was the oldest man ever in the history of boxing at age 45 to win that title. And that after 10 years of not boxing. He's ranked number nine on Ring Magazine's list of 100 greatest punchers of all times. He had a hard punch. Ring Magazine named him Fighter of the Year in 1976. Ring Magazine also named him one of the 25 greatest fighters of all time. And the Associated Press named him Male Athlete of the Year in 1994. And that was when he was quite old already. It took work, a great deal of sustained, grueling, daily effort and exercise to condition his body and sustain that condition for George Foreman to accomplish such a career and record. During his career as a boxer, his life was oriented toward, structured for, organized in such a way, and running day by day for the goal Of boxing. There is no such thing as an instant athlete. It took daily effort for George Foreman to reach the point as a boxer to make his learned abilities of boxing natural or second nature. I've used a a definition of holiness or godliness for many years which is this to live a holy or godly life is to live a life in conformity to the precepts and doctrines taught in the Bible and in contrast to the ways and wiles of the world in other words having nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women and disciplining ourselves For the purpose of godliness. Being godly or holy is not an option. We are commanded by God, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And you are to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Now it is certain in this life that we can never be perfect in the sense of being sinless. First John chapter one, verse eight, tells us that. But we can be perfect in the sense of Christian maturity or completeness. Someday, when Jesus Christ comes, we will be sinless, because we, we will be just like Him. Until then, perfect godliness is the goal which every believer must discipline himself toward every day day after day because of the work of Christ we are counted perfect in God's sight and he has made us new creatures with a disposition for God towardness and so it is true that we hunger and thirst after righteousness however that does not automatically make us godly because there is no instant godliness. Godliness doesn't come that way. Godliness takes constant effort throughout our Christian lives. Yes, we are counted perfect. And yes, we are new creatures. But many of our day-to-day practices are not yet oriented toward godliness. The old man and our old habitual ways of living are still our unwelcomed companion. It will take daily effort for us as Christians to reach the point where the things of God begin to become our second nature. We must discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. But how? How? Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, And He was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. We need to look at this verse a little closer. If anyone wishes to come after Me, if we have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we want to be like Christ, if we want to be a prayer warrior, if we want understanding of Scriptures, if we expect to work in the work of Christ, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. We must say no to and deny the old, unwelcome self-rule any authority over us, surrendering all authority to God. We must say no to and deny the old desires, access to our thoughts and to any part of our lives by filling our thoughts with the desires of God from His Word. We must say no to and deny the old ways, by counting them as wrong ways that only lead to hell and follow the only way to heaven, we must say no to and deny the old practices by practicing all that that God's word says to do. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. Have you ever pictured yourself walking down Main Street, dragging a huge cross? Now that would be something people passing by would notice. Some might blow their horns. Some might wave. Some might shout out comments. Some might laugh. Some might even take pictures. But hardly no one would miss the message that would give. The cross was an instrument of death that our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on, paying for and taking upon Himself the penalty of our sins. We are to take up our cross, putting to death the old man and our old life patterns each and every day. If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself And take up his cross daily and follow me. Whenever God says, put off, he also says, put on. Each day we must seek to follow Jesus Christ. That is what is meant to discipline oneself for the purpose of godliness. It means to continue to say no to self and to say yes to Christ every day while one by one, all the old habitual ways are replaced by new ones. It means that by daily endeavor to follow God's Son, one finds at length doing so is more natural than not doing so. The Holy Spirit thus enables a believer to put off the old man and put on a new man. The new ways reflect the true righteousness and holiness that is in Jesus Christ. The image of God was marred by the fall. But by this process of sanctification, it begins to show up in the Christian's life as it once did in Adam's life. That is what discipline towards godliness is all about. Godliness, in the final analysis is reflecting by grace God's image more and more. I uh, heard a sermon this uh, past month, which also impacted me quite a bit. And um, in in that sermon, the fellow used an analogy, I think it's called, and. I'd like to use that here this morning. I've kind of made it my own a bit. And it goes like this. We're going to do a little pretending. Let's pretend that I didn't show up here this morning at 10 o'clock. Instead, I showed up at 15 after 10. And I came in here, came up to the front, and I said, please forgive me for being late. I got up this morning, and it had snowed in Hazel Park. Now, you folks would turn around look outside and go, well, it snowed? And I said, yes, it snowed. We had two inches of snow in Hazel Park. And so I got up and started to go out to my car to come here, and I I got to the sidewalk, and I slipped and I fell in the snow. And I started to get up, and just as I started to get up, I looked up, and there was a 57 DeSoto driving on a sidewalk at 50 miles an hour, and it was 10 feet away from me. And it hit me. And you people would look at me and say, one of two or three things, I suppose. Either you're a liar... (laughs) Or you're Superman. Or God did a miracle. And you'd be right. It would have to be one of those things. three things, I suppose. But December 1961, December 24th, 1961, my sister got married. And I, I went to her wedding. In fact, I was the best man. I had on, first of all, I guess I need to say I was a hoodlum back in those days. Terrible. But I had on a cashmere coat, a rented tuxedo, a brand new pair of thick and thins. We used to call them thick and thins. Anybody know what they are? Socks. They were socks. Called. Everybody had to have their thick and thins. And a brand new pair of Italian shoes on. And I, I went to her wedding, and after the wedding, I thought, well, I'm dressed up. I'm going to the town hangout and hang out with my buddies. We lived in Highland Park. So I went up to Hilo's, and that's the name of the, it was like a restaurant. And there was only one guy there. His name was Danny. So we talked a little bit, and he said, where is everybody tonight? And uh, we decided, well, let's go down to the pizzeria, which was down the street about four blocks on the opposite side of Woodward. And so we walked out of Hilo's, which was on Buena Vesta and Woodward. It was right on the corner. Started down Woodward Avenue on the sidewalk, and we got almost to Fair and Park. And those Italian shoes, I don't know if you've ever had any Italian shoes, they're not only slick on top, they're slick on bottom. I mean, they're leather heels, they're leather soles, and they're just as shiny as the tops when they're new. And I was having a hard time staying up because it had snowed about two inches. And I slipped and I fell on the sidewalk. And just as I started to get up, I looked, and there was a 57 DeSoto, 10 feet away, heading right straight for me. Before I could get up, it hit me, and it threw me 50 feet away. It almost threw me back to where we started from. When I came to my senses, which didn't take too long, I mean, I, I remember most of what happened. I was laying in the snow, and I knew that I got hit by a car, but I was angry because the cashmere coat I had on was borrowed, and the tuxedo was rented. And there I was laying in the snow. And I thought, I've got to get up. I mean, I'm ruining these clothes. And so, as I tried to start getting up, my friend Danny that was there with me was crying profusely. And he kept saying, don't move, Ken. Don't move. He had no right to do this to you. And he was just, I mean, tears were just falling out of his eyes. And I said, i got to get up. I'm ruining these clothes. And I raised up. And as I raised up, I felt warmness. Wash over my face, and I thought, I just kind of laid back down, and I thought, there's something wrong here." And he kept saying, Don't move, don't move. The part of the problem was I was uncomfortable. I was laying on something that just it was just making me lay the wrong way. And I turned this way to look at what I was laying on, my Italian shoe, my thick and thins. And my pant leg sticking out on this side underneath my shoulder. And it was then I knew that I was in trouble. When they took me to the hospital, they called my mom and said, you better come quick because he's not going to live. He's not going to make it. And I remember her when I was laying on the operating table in the hospital and she was crying over me. I woke up three days later. And the only thing that they had done to me in three days was sew my head. They didn't set my leg. They didn't set my hip. They didn't do anything. In, in 1961, when they thought you were going to die, there was no sense in doing those things. But after three days, they decided, well, hey, this guy's going to (laughs) live. Let's put him back together. So why am I telling you this story this morning? It's not for you to feel sorry for me, believe me. First of all, God could have taken my life that day. He could have taken it right away, and I wasn't ready to go. I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ at all as my Savior. Besides that, I was a terrible hoodlum. If most of you folks knew my life, you would shudder. So God saved my life. He took me off the streets for better than a year. So don't feel sorry for me. The reason I'm telling you this story is this. You cannot get hit by a 1957 DeSoto and not be changed. Not going to happen. You're going to have some noticeable changes about you. Some of those changes you still see today. You will be changed. God is much more powerful than the 1957 DeSoto. And you can't have a, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and, salvation and not be changed it's, it's not going to happen you're going to have some noticeable changes I, I hate to keep using me as an example but when I got saved as a young man the Lord changed my life I went home to my wife and she wanted to know where is my husband and what did you do with him she didn't know who I was she didn't recognize me because I was changed When we have Christian growth and we become more godly, there's a noticeable change in that too. We have a change. And it shows in our lives by what we do and by what we say. And people will recognize that. Just like dragging across down the street on Main Street, people are going to recognize that there's something different about us. So... We need to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness so that we can serve God, so that we can be that prayer warrior, so that we can understand God's Word, so that we can live for the Lord, so that we can be a witness for the Lord. Because without that, we can do nothing. Without Christ in our life and without Christian growth in our life, we're stagnant and we're not going anywhere. So discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank You and praise You, Lord, uh, for Your precious Word. Uh, Thank You, Lord, for the things, Lord, that You've taught me uh, through these past few weeks of studying and reading Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would Work in each and every heart here, Lord, to discipline themselves, Lord, to work hard at, to do the job, Father, that you want us to do, uh, to become more like you, Lord, and to walk better with you, Father. I just pray that you'd work in each and every life here, Father, and help each one of us, Lord, to do just that. Uh, We pray for our service now that is uh, coming. We just pray, Father. for Your Word that's going to be taught and preached. And we pray too, Lord, that uh, You would impact our lives with that. And we just thank You and praise You. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.